Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity entitled Hot Topics in HCV, a multidisciplinary online mini curriculum. Activity 1 Treating Hepatitis C in Primary Care, You Can, You Should, is jointly provided by Global Education Group and Integritas Communications and is supported by an educational grant from AbbVie Incorporated. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements as well as the learning objectives. Welcome to Activity 1 in this three-part Hot Topics in HCV mini curriculum. Treating Hep C in primary care? You can, you should. I am Ricardo Franco, Associate Professor of Medicine, the School of Medicine, Division of Infectious Diseases at the University of Alabama at Birmingham, in Birmingham, Alabama. And with me today is Dr. Chuck Vega. He is Clinical Professor in Family Medicine and Director of the Program in Medical Education for the Latino Community, Prime LC. He's also Associate Dean at the University of California, Irvine School of Medicine in Irvine, California. Welcome, Dr. Vega. All right. Well, thank you, Ricardo. It's great to be here. Wonderful. Let's begin. Due to the opioid crisis, virtually all populations and regions are now impacted by the HCV epidemic. This has called for the expansion of the HCV treater workforce, with a special emphasis on enlisting primary care providers to participate in HCV elimination efforts. Chuck, before we speak to the PCP's role, could you give us an overview of this need? Right, Ricardo. Thanks very much for this opportunity because the need is, is profound, really. Um, so over 4 million adults in the United States um, have a positive test uh, for HCV antibodies. And that may actually be as high as 7 million when you uh, take a, into account that many of these folks are hard to count. Um, they may uh, be homeless or they may have uh, other reasons that are not in touch with the healthcare system. And then over 2 million, 2.4 million to be exact, have active hepatitis C infection. About 36% of new cases of HCV are discovered uh, among this baby boomer generation. And I think very importantly, uh, they represent a disproportionate number of deaths due to hepatitis C. So very important group to consider. But um, as this opioid crisis has continued and uh, during the last uh, couple of years, particularly in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, it's actually worsened. Um, now we're seeing the majority of cases uh, coming from um, use of opioids and other drugs. And the hepatitis C uh, virus antibody prevalence uh, among people who inject drugs is estimated to be as high as 70%. And so one in three people who inject drugs will acquire hepatitis C infection in their first year. And unfortunately, this includes a special group that I think is worth highlighting, and that's women of reproductive age. Uh, so it, it's been estimated that between 2000 and 2015, uh, the national uh, rate of hepatitis C infection among women uh, giving birth increased 
for over 400%. And that's not just a risk uh, for, uh, for these women, but it's a risk uh, for their offspring as well because the, uh, the vertical transmission rate for hepatitis C, just when it's an infection on, on its own, is nearly 6%. And then when there's a co-infection with HIV and hepatitis C, which is not an uncommon occurrence, um, that vertical transmission rates jumps to nearly 11%. Uh, so really a public health crisis around hepatitis C, which is now a curable disease. Well said, Chuck. So you certainly have portrayed this tremendous need. So the, does PCP just jump in in HCV care or are there supportive partners that they can rely on? So we're really seeing a decentralization moving from the hospital setting into the outpatient setting and into the primary care office. One thing that's been concerning is that uh, the drugs used to treat hepatitis C previously uh, were fairly restricted in different states regarding who could prescribe them, that they really needed a specialist to prescribe them. Uh, those requirements have largely come down across the United States. So these are treatments that are available to primary care and that will be covered uh, by, uh, by, ins- by medical insurance. And it's important to treat in primary care because you really don't see a difference in terms of who's giving the drugs in, uh, when it comes to patient-centered outcomes, uh, like a cure rate, um, a sustained uh, virus, viral response at 12 weeks. If you look at whether specialty offices are giving uh, the antiviral drugs, uh, primary care physicians are doing it, or uh, nurse practitioners are doing it, the cure rates are about the same. We know that individuals who are treated in the primary care office uh, versus a specialty office were more likely to begin treatment and more likely uh, to complete treatment and get that uh, sustained viral uh, response. So overall, I think it shows that there's, there's a great role. And in primary care, as, as, as we all know, every time you create an extra step for a patient, patient has to leave your office and go to lab, patient has to wait for a um, approval to go see a specialist to get the treatment for the hepatitis C, everyone, we lose people at every step. So why not try to consolidate those steps keep it in our offices, uh, keep patients uh, at their medical homes uh, for this important treatment, and we'll have better results. But why aren't we seeing a better uptake of HCV care by PCPs at the moment? Well, that's, that's a great question, Ricardo. Thank you. Um, I think there's a lot of historical reasons. Uh, you know, some PCPs just aren't aware that, uh, that they can treat hepatitis C. Um, they're not necessarily familiar with the guidelines uh, regarding treatment, which is why programs like this are, are so wonderful. Um, they may not have a lot of uh, support within their, their particular health system. I think that has changed a lot. And there have been those historical barriers, either by insurance or maybe even by patients themselves, that uh, make uh, PCPs turn away from it. Uh, why wouldn't we want to treat those patients now that we have tools that I think are easy to understand and we have treatment that's highly effective? So this is really a call to action to our colleagues. Well said. So let's turn our attention now to HCV screening. Chuck, would you please walk us through the CDC guidelines? Right. And these have been simplified a lot, and they've been, uh, I think, made more relevant uh, to a population that really is, um, overall, we as a country are at risk for hepatitis C. So we, we talked about some of those numbers, which are, are truly frightening. And that led the CDC to uh, change the recommendations uh, so that all individuals 18 years and over should be screened at least once uh, for uh, hepatitis C. And uh, for individuals who are pregnant, uh, women who are pregnant, uh, they should be screened with each pregnancy as well. Now, of course, we have folks uh, who have a higher risk 
uh, for hepatitis C. And those individuals I'm screening more often. Uh, and so I think that that's important. And I think another good point is anybody who comes and requests a hepatitis C uh, test, I always give it to them. Now, they may not be willing to share a lot about why they want the test, but the fact that they're there and asking for it, it doesn't happen a lot in my practice, but when it does, my ears definitely you know, perk up. And I'm gonna ask them about risky behaviors. Uh, and, and not only when I think about screening for hepatitis C, but those individuals I'm usually thinking about HIV screening, of course, hepatitis B screening, and uh, you know, possibly syphilis as well. What I like the most about making hepatitis C screening universal is that you basically destigmatize the screening process uh, by itself. So the, the only question that really matters is if you want to be screened or if you agree to be screened, right? Now, some of our clinicians may need a refresher on HCV serology. So if you could walk us through the clinical interpretation of some key HCV diagnostic tests. So um, the way we screen for hepatitis C uh, in the United States is by using an anti-HCV antibody. Um, and ideally, that's paired with a uh, test for uh, HCV RNA uh, if the antibody test is positive. So uh, start with the antibody test. Now that can indicate a current infection or it can indicate a past infection. Remember that a good percentage of individuals will clear an initial infection with hepatitis C, and that estimate varies. I've seen uh, that the estimate was 25% in one meta-analysis. It may be higher than that, but the majority of individuals infected with hepatitis C go on to develop more chronic infection, and that's gonna be evident uh, by having that HCV RNA. Ideally, for efficiency's sake and with the patient's uh, care in mind, uh, I, a uh, reflex test where the, if the HCV antibody is positive, um, it goes right to automatically to uh, test a, um, a PCR for uh, HCV RNA uh, right away, and that way you'll know whether it's a current infection or a past infection. The use of prompts in electronic medical record or other decision support is critical. If you really want to make changes stick in practice management, um, you need tech. To just rely on the human element only takes you so far. Uh, but the, if you have a good reminder system on your electronic medical record and you're combining that uh, with you know, following the guidelines, uh, you're gonna get a lot of people screened. You're gonna get some disease found and you're going to be able to treat those patients and make them well again. It is really interesting when you look at uh, evidence of these interventions in practices and, and how effective they are. It, it, it's a great impact of streamlining things and, and making it a part of the common practice. So um, this is evidence-based medicine, uh, well applied when it comes to screening. And HCV treatment has greatly evolved too. So highly effective, direct-acting antiviral therapies are now well-tolerated with short treatment courses of either eight or 12 weeks, and the cure rates are greater than 95%. Treatment guidelines have evolved as well, and they're now simplified and streamlined. So what was the intent of this simplification? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm honored that these guidelines are simplified just for folks like me. Uh, so it's, it's simplified so that we can um, use this treatment more readily because it's still underutilized overall uh, when it's, it's safe and, and very effective. So the idea is get more treaters and we'll take care of more patients with HCV and you know, reduce the spread overall of this infection. And so who's eligible for that simplified treatment? Um, it's folks who don't have decompensated cirrhosis and they've not previously been treated for hepatitis C. So those are folks I'm going to want to involve a, um, a specialist uh, with. Uh, and so uh, if they had prior HCV treatment, 
um, if they have uh, if they've had a liver transplant, um, if they have a co-infection with either hepatitis B or HIV, um, the, if they're pregnant, all those folks I'm going to want to uh, manage with a specialist as well as individuals with end-stage renal disease. But the majority of uh, patients, and certainly the ones that I'm screening uh, for hepatitis C, who otherwise you know maybe feel fine and have an occult infe- infection, uh, the uh, the workup is pretty straightforward. It's it's labs we do all the time. So getting a complete blood count, uh, getting a hepatic function panel, and um, and getting uh, an estimated glomerular f- uh, filtration rate. Usually that's just done with a CBC and a comprehensive metabolic panel. You're going to get that. Um, that initial quantitative uh, hepatitis C um, viral load. Um, You're going to do that before you start antiviral therapy. Genotyping is not necessary when you're using a pan-genotypic treatment regimen, and we'll go over the uh, two choices there. And then we're going to also check for HIV and hepatitis B shortly before treatment because, again, uh, if those infections are concomitant, it becomes a little bit more complicated. You can't go through the streamlined uh, therapy. So as I mentioned earlier, it's also really important to consider uh, the risk of hepatitis C among uh, women at reproductive age. And so uh, screening and treatment of women um, at the, in those, that age range uh, really can make a difference in their overall well-being, uh, the well-being of their kids. So really important, something we should all be invested in. That said, uh, the agents that we use against hepatitis C you know, can have negative effects on pregnancy. So uh, before initiating treatment, we want to make sure that a serum pregnancy test is negative. Um, and we also, of course, want to counsel patients on uh, not becoming pregnant, offering contraception uh, during the treatment period. And there are some uh, really simple to use tools, uh, the APRI or the FIB4 calculators. Uh, these use um, demographic data and laboratory results which are readily available to estimate the risk of cirrhosis. So uh, make sure that you have those in your toolbox as well when you're evaluating patients uh, with hepatitis C. And then finally, before we, uh, before we initiate therapy, we want to make sure there's no drug-drug interaction, so we're going to do a, a medication reconciliation, um, and then we're going to really try to enlist the patient, tell them how important it is to stay on therapy, to let us know if they're having problems with uh, treatment so that they can complete either their 8- or 12-week course and see it through. And then, of course, treatment is, is really uh, important, and we have two uh, preferred pangenotypic uh, regimens that are effective against hepatitis C. So there's a glucaprovir with pibrentosphere is one, and the other is sevosivir plus belpatosphere. Both of them are highly effective, over 95% in terms of uh, their response rate. And the treatment uh, regimen is at maximum 12 weeks. And then on-treatment monitoring is really more focused on adherence. So it's, it's, you certainly want to keep up with patients. Uh, using telehealth is a great time to use telehealth because I'm, I'm checking for side effects. I'm checking for barriers to adherence. Um, uh, but in terms of routine laboratory monitoring, uh, for a simplified regimen with those pangenotypic uh, uh, antiviral agents that I just described, uh, don't need it. So they don't need to be coming into the laboratory routinely. Post-treatment, uh, then you know, we want to check uh, for, uh, for HCV RNA. And if they have a history of mineral fibrosis, that's really it. Um, I will check again in terms of uh, checking for RNA levels. Uh, Should they continue in any kind of uh, risky behaviors particularly, and then uh, make that a routine part of their care. It is different if they have a history of advanced fibrosis because their follow-up has to uh, 
think about you know, their, their, their risk of cirrhosis and complications, so they should be screened for hepatocellular carcinoma with ultrasound every six months. Also, they should undergo a baseline endoscopy looking for varices and, uh, and then managing uh, those varices if found um, in longitudinally. Thank you. You have covered a lot of territory. What do we see as our next steps, Chuck, in both encouraging and supporting our PCP colleagues in taking on HCV care in their practices? Well, that's a great question regarding next steps, because to, to me, we're already there. Um, you know, the door is open, uh, and we just have to walk through. The, I, I think we are, it's clear we are dealing uh, with a very common chronic infection that has devastating uh, consequences uh, overall. And we have the opportunity to screen for it, which I think a lot of us in primary care are doing. And now we really got to take that next step and treat it in primary care as well. Um, It's going to yield much uh, better patient outcomes and overall uh, reduce uh, the public health burden of hepatitis C broadly uh, across this country. I agree, Chuck, that primary care providers are in great position to not only treat hepatitis C well, but do great patient selection and do this responsibly. Thank you very much for this great conversation. All right. Well, thank you, Ricardo. It was fun. And thank you to our viewers for joining us today for this program. For additional clinical resources, please visit exchangecme.com slash hottopicshcv. And remember to complete the post-test and evaluation form to claim your credit. And please be sure to view the other two activities in these hot topics in HCV mini curriculum, what the ob provider needs to know and the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on vulnerable populations. Thank you. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Education Group and Integritas Communications and is supported by an educational grant from AbbVie Incorporated. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.